Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Retail Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Dan Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail. Or as we like to say, the retail media organization that focuses on tomorrow today. Today's session, Chris. Yes. I'm excited by this title. It was inspired by an amazing 90s new radical song called You Only Get What You Give. Yes. Yeah, remember well, 1999 came out. Yeah. Your Tiva sandals and painting your toenails during that. No, that was a little bit. Uh, this was a little bit after the after. Tony, the Tiva and toenails and period. But playing, playing hacky sack on the. No, I, 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 I never was a hacky sacker. But I'll tell you a funny story about this. Do you remember Warehouse Records? Do you remember that store? I don't. No. Might have been like a West Coast thing, but it was kind of like a smaller Tower Records. Okay. My girlfriend at the time really liked this song, and so she wanted me to get her the album. Okay. So I go into Warehouse Records and like I'm, CD. Or C- like record, the like the CD, okay. yeah, the CD, okay. okay, yeah, the album, and so so I went into Warehouse Records, and I, you know, you know me and music, like I have no idea who the band is, right? No right. idea whatsoever, and so so I'm like going into the store, and I'm like, do you have this song? And they're like, they have no idea who it is you or whatever, and so I tried singing it. <laughs> And it was a disaster. But anyway, so that brings back good memories. I'm excited for today. Oh, my gosh. This was I was not. That was how we used to do things, though. Singing that poor yeah. warehouse records. It was worker. terrible. Um, well, anyway, the point of talking about that song is that we have two experts today who are with us to talk about how smart retailers set vendors up for success. And joining us are SPS Commerce's Brandon Pierre and David Verrett. David, Brandon, welcome to Omnitalk. We're excited to have you. Uh, David, are you, how are you feeling about today? Are you are you a new Radicals fan? Are you pumped to talk about uh, SPS Commerce as it pertains to a 90s song? I am absolutely ready for that. But, but Anne, I was wondering, what, how did that song go again? Do you remember? How it, <laughs> Not happening. Not <laughs> happening. David's trying to get us. I, I happened to sing accidentally yes. on stage. Yes, you did. A keynote for SPS not too long ago. Yes. I will not be doing that again yet. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. It might come out, but you only get what you give. See, Chris. Right? Oh God. I don't know. No wonder. I can't, they can't I know what song out song um, joining us also is Brandon Pierre. Brandon, you, you may have had to listen to Chris's singing at some point in your life, 10 years ago when you guys worked at target, but um, how are you feeling about today? Are you excited to be here? Yes. I'm super excited to be here. And um and maybe if you sing that song, David can show you his Tifa sandals with his painted toenails. Yeah, that was a, that was what I was not expecting to cover in the opening. But well, yeah, hey, whatever. You I know? mean, it's one of my favorite fun facts about Chris <laughs> in college right. is that his t- he used to wear his Tifa sandals so you could see his painted toenails right. in the 90s. What a great right. time. The 90s were a great decade, Ann. They're um, so good. All right. Well, let's get this. <laughs> let's get this thing back on on track here. So today uh, we want to thank all of you who are joining us live on LinkedIn. If you have questions about Tiva sandals, if you have questions about EDI, about SBS Commerce, please uh, feel free to reach out in the chat to David, Brandon and the SPS Commerce team as we are going through this conversation and they will be happy to answer your questions as we go along. So with that, Chris. Yeah. All right, you two. So, you know, with the spirit of you only get what you give, we're expecting you to give back to the audience here right now. But let's start with why don't each of you introduce yourselves and talk to us about your role at SPS Commerce and what it is that you do. Brandon, let's start with you. Yeah, sure. So um, I I grew up in retail. Uh, my family owned a small retail business on the 
uh, eastern side of uh, Minneapolis here and uh, still own it, actually, mm-hmm. out in the suburbs and um, really just kind of grew up in the retail environment as my parents built it from the ground up and then uh, had a chance to start at Target right out of school and spent 13 years really training in all different parts of the retail business from planning to buying to stores to online and uh, really loved and enjoyed the experience there and um, spent a year consulting after my target days into a small pet supply distributor where I stumbled upon SPS and uh, for the last seven years I've been working in the customer success organization and really my team is responsible for engaging with our retail partners and kind of helping them think through how to leverage this data, how to engage with their suppliers, how to then optimize as a business around that data and data exchange. And so my team's really working with our retailers from across the globe. Um, So it's been an exciting transition from being in the retailer itself to now working with hundreds of retailers as they look at the way that they can improve how they engage with their supplier partners. Right, and improve that item data flow across the entire network. That's very cool. Uh, David, how about you? Uh, out of college, I uh, started with AT&T, which became Lucent Technologies. We sold the big enterprise communication systems. And then uh, about 23 years ago, I pivoted to come to this company called SPS Commerce, which wow. was doing about a million dollars a year in revenue. And I think we were losing about $3 million a quarter. So that wasn't going to work out long term um, and have had the good fortune over the last 23 years of leading the retail enterprise team. So we're the organization really within SPS Commerce that looks like the business development arm where we go... Okay establish formal partnerships with the retailers, grocers, and distributors uh, to really help get them the data they need in order to automate their key business functions. And then, of course, work with all the suppliers to bring them into a state of capability. So mm-hmm. it's been a fun run thus far. A fun run. Good rhyme. <laughs> I like that. It is. Uh, we we So we talked about this already. We called this session, you only get what you give, Setting or successful retailers set their vendors up for success. I want I want you all to just kind of lay some groundwork here for the audience. What role does SPS play in helping retailers do this? And maybe Brandon, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I would say one of the roles we play, and this might be rather frustrating at times to even some of our customers, is we're pretty deliberate in before we engage with their suppliers, spending time just getting insight into why they're trying to do this as a business. Um, because that is one of the things that we've continuously found is if you can't really articulate why you're trying to do that as a business, when you're asking your suppliers to go ahead and do something, the results often aren't what you want or expect. And so right. mm-hmm. a lot of our focus is trying to really drive out, why are you doing this? What are you looking to get out of this? And then uh, with SPS and, and one of the interesting parts about where we sit in the retail network is we have a pretty good handle when you develop those business reasons of understanding what suppliers can actually provide from a data standpoint. So as, as we work with retailers to help them understand where, where what they're asking for is common with what other retailers might be asking for, where it might be different, we really help to try to guide them on where they might be doing something unique. The amount of times I've worked with an executive at a retailer that's like, hey, there's many different areas I wanna be differentiated, but when it comes to EDI and data exchange, not really looking to stand out with my Oh, really? That's surprising. Uh, that, that's actually a little bit surprising in some ways, knowing what we know about the retail industry. I'm curious, like, what's what? Like, what are other examples of that that bring what you're saying to life? 
Well, I mean, if if you're going into the market and you're the first person, let's say in grocery, for example, historically, the advanced ship notice hasn't been a common data exchange. Mm, well, mm-hmm. if you're going to lean into that, which we are seeing more grocers lean into that, you need to be able to demonstrate that you're actually going to use it and have the conviction behind it in order to do that. Um, and and so that, that notion of if you're going to kind of lead the market and be different in the market, you better have that conviction on how your business processes are gonna operate around that because you are asking for something from your suppliers. Um, and um, yeah, uh, so that, I don't know if that helps answer the question, but that's somewhat where we see this on, hey, if you're going to the market first, if you're gonna be different, let's see if there's a way to make you not have to be different when it comes to how suppliers work with you. That's so interesting to me. So, so you kind of your job is 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 in some ways convincing retailers like, hey, you probably don't need to be different here. That's basically what you're saying. You don't need to be different unless you have a strategic business reason to right. do so. Right. And keep in mind, there are opportunities. We do see some that invest in systems where they need the data because it's going to help them bring down the way they, uh, the levels of inventory they have to carry or to distribute products out of the stores. And absolutely mm-hmm. in that case, it's okay to kind of differentiate, but you need to have that conviction around why your business is going to look to do it. Otherwise, the moment suppliers may start to push back, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, this isn't necessarily an important investment for us. And I would imagine too, and David, maybe this is for you, but I imagine too, like knowing where to be non-differentiated as a retailer probably helps you understand or be better at the differentiation side of things because all the item data flows together very well then. And so you guys, you guys work with everybody. I mean, like you work with retail giants like Walmart, you're working with companies like, I mean, we met at SPS, the event, we interviewed someone from PV, which is mm-hmm. Canada's equivalent of tractor supply. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about, talk to us about, you know, what I just said there in terms of how you work with any retailer of any size to under, help them understand where the points of differentiation should be and where they shouldn't be potentially. Yeah, no, good, good call. And, and clearly when we work with the, the big tier one players, they're they're very prescriptive in what they're looking to get from their suppliers. And they're really looking to us to help really shepherd the vendors through that process. Sure. When we engage with, with those that are 500 million to a couple billion dollars, they, they're really looking to us to help lead them on, on really what should they be asking of their, of their, uh, uh, their supplier community. And, and that usually starts with us doing a kind of a deep dive in what their current business systems and business processes look like because they're really wanting to know how do they compare to others mm-hmm. and, the okay. and, and, and what's it going to take from a data standpoint in order to get that big win? Uh, because most, e- even to the size of PVs, they, they have anywhere from a 10 to $60 million opportunity uh, when they're looking at how do they get their arms around inventory, you know, safety stock management, uh, mm-hmm. deferring cost of having to build another DC because they need to support more stores out of a DC that's, starting to get throttled down. So, uh, you know, each one has its own uniqueness, but to your question, they look to us to make sure we keep them in check so, so that what they're asking of their vendors is consistent with what others in their sector or their, or their vertical are asking for. Uh, the last thing you want to do with a vendor that, or retailer that maybe doesn't have as much leverage is make big asks of them mm-hmm. when you're not maybe their biggest, you know, biggest customer. Right, right. right. So, so that's, so that's interesting too. So like what you're saying is then, you know, the, the, the wide view that you take the industry then helps inform those conversations as well as I imagine. So you can literally say, look, we we've seen this across everyone. Mm -hmm. Here's how they're doing it. Here's how you're doing it. This is where the gaps and the opportunities are. Yeah, absolutely. And and Chris, a a lot of times the way I've been thinking about it is 
when I used to be a merchant and I used to be able to gather intel on where I was at from a market share and what mm-hmm. my competitors were doing it, it's hard to do when you're talking about data automation. Like, where do you get that leadership position and point of view from? Right. And so being able for retailers to lean into somebody, and, and that's a lot of where our team spends time is like, let us tell you what's happening out there in the industry and what you can take advantage of. Because in a lot of ways, EDI has been around for 30, 40, you know, however many right, years. Right, and it's right. kind of viewed as an outdated, maybe a bit of a technology when in reality, it's all about how you're using the data. And right. it's just the data exchange. And so there's many different ways that organizations can take further opportunity of EDI platforms they've already built out there through um, enhancements in the type of data that can be exchanged. But having to know where to go um, for some sort of insight on what's happening in the market is a lot of where I look at SPS and kind of our leadership responsibility. Yeah, I mean, we even heard that, I think, from some of the clients we had, um, Carrie Craig from WD40, who was at uh, the conference that we were just at, and she was talking about that same thing where, you know, she relies on SPS to help understand, you know, where things are going in the market to really to kind of use you all as kind of a Sherpa to get through, like, I know I have to be in all these places. How do I build my internal teams to support the work that my, my retailer partners do? So it's, it's, it's great that you have that ability to not, not just be the the provider, but also to be able to work with the people to help support them and, and figure out how to build their internal systems. And that kind of takes me to my next question, which is what you have exposure to all of these retailers, to suppliers, to 3PLs. What what are the kind of challenges that we're talking about these days? Like what's top of mind for everybody? Um, Brandon, you're you're the customer success manager. Like what phone calls are you getting on a day-to-day basis? And, and how is SPS kind of helping support those transitions? Yeah, I would say a, a couple of areas we typically see, and one that I I might want to hit on that's definitely rising over the course of the last. Sure. Years, but mm-hmm. uh, we certainly see things with when it comes to data exchange around the ability to improve kind of open to buy and open to buy visibility and, and where shipments are at to mm. being able to receive and process inventory quickly. Um, David talked about the need to not be opening additional distribution centers to fuel store growth or to fuel um, online channels. Mm. Well, all that's dependent on how you can get goods in and move them through your distribution center and having the data to be able to do that is critical. And I would say those are kind of like two of the bigger areas uh, we continue to see. But one of the things that I think has been interesting is even uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, obviously out of stocks on store shelves were a big deal. And I think a lot of that at the time could be traced back to the supply chain and manufacturers and producer capabilities. But I think some of that has gone away at this point, yet you're still seeing out of stocks Mm -hmm. on on store shelves. And what we can see from across our retail network, it's not as much about suppliers not filling shipments. It's about the confidence the retailers have and when those shipments are coming, the data tied to those shipments that they can then promise inventory through different channels in their stores um, mm. and uh, being able to manage that one kind of pool of inventory and having that access to where my inventory is at, when it's coming in. And the the simple difference a couple of days of reaction can have on your ability to stay in stock um, is, is, is becoming more and more critical. So we're seeing a lot more in this like real-time order update management exchange because of the impact that it has just simply by losing a day or two 
and not reacting quick enough uh, to keep stores uh, stores in stock because it's not about necessarily suppliers aren't able to fill anymore. A lot of what we hear from suppliers mm -hmm. is they're sitting on stockpiles. Mm -hmm. It's sure. a matter of how that inventory is making its way through the supply chain and how quickly retailers are reacting. So, so that's interesting, Brandon. So, okay, so so let me make sure I understood that right. So, like, because Ann and I've talked, we talked a lot about on the program about how inventory accuracy in the store, you know, is a detriment, you know, in general for all the omni-channel capabilities. You talked about one pool of inventory, so particularly it makes shipping from store and curbside pickup difficult. Yeah. But you're saying there's an exacerbating factor here at play too, which is the confidence that the goods will arrive into the store at the time when you think they're going to arrive to allow the ordered management systems to sync up with what inventory should be available you know, looking at the forward forecast for the sales and the inventory coming in. You're saying that's an issue too that exacerbates everything. Absolutely. So we wow. just start to get Never into it, um, how quickly your vendors are able to get back to you and say, hey, you're looking for 100 units, I can only get you 80. Well, then if they're shipping it and they only ship you 70, like your ability to kind of release inventory and have confidence in releasing inventory, knowing you know what's coming in behind it, definitely has a profound impact on the logic that we see retailers building into their system. So, because the last thing they want to do is disappoint a consumer that walks into the store, right? And so at times we'll see them applying safety stock levels because they're not confident in what inventory is coming behind it. But there's a sale on the backside of that, that they might've walked uh, by online pickup in store or ship from store, all because they don't have the appropriate confidence levels, as well as oftentimes if you're not able to receive it quick enough, you have products sitting in the DC, uh, you know, moving out to the store as well, or even the store back room. So um, definitely has an impact on that as well. God, that's why I love this job. I learned something. I've never thought about that before in my life. And that that is such an interesting thing to think about around how this all works. Yeah. yeah and, and it's definitely why we're seeing the increase in the requirements mm -hmm. uh, that retailers are looking for, because they're finding the gaps in the systems at this point. And so explain a little bit for me, like exactly how SPS fits into this then, Brandon, like what types of things are you putting into place? So, or are you helping retailers and suppliers do to communicate with one another, to give better visibility to each other of, of what those stock levels are, when to anticipate stock and, and what are the other things that you're able to do outside of that particular out of stock use case? Yeah. Um, well, I can definitely hit on a few here and David, you know, feel free to jump in, but I think in part, one of the things we were talking about is uh, not, retailers not always wanting to differentiate when it comes to data exchange. And mm -hmm. that's part of where we're consulting these organizations on. These are becoming more and more standard data exchanges. The ability for a supplier to send you inventory availability to uh, quickly acknowledge when you send them an order, like, did they, did they get it? Can they ship it? Are they going to have to cut you on it? And therefore, you know what you're going to need to do in your future replenishment orders. Those are becoming more and more commonplace than they were 10 years ago, five years ago, and it's becoming more critical to managing an omni-channel experience. So part of what we do is we recommend what's standard out there, what data you can expect. We get into their systems and start to understand, depending on what their systems, either their ERP or their WMSs are capable of, they might have to ask for certain things differently. We might have to transform some data for them. So we usually try to neutralize their system lack of capabilities through SPS doing some data transformation for them. But um, we recommend kind of how to engage with the suppliers, what to ask for. We help build the data into their system and solutions. And then lastly, and probably the most critical part in all of that, because it's all for none if you don't actually get your suppliers onboarded and capable of sending that data. Right. Um, and one of the things I love, uh, you know, truly to say this, it, 
working with SPS is when we go into these retailers, we can tell them your suppliers can really use any solution they want. SPS obviously has a market solution that they can buy, but otherwise they don't have to buy us, but we'll still help onboard them to your solution retailer, which as I'm a merchant, if I don't have to force my vendor to go to a portal or something specifically, yes. but they can just do it how they want to, that has immense value when I'm making an ask of my suppliers. Yeah. David, what are you hearing? I mean, you're you're talking to a lot of retailers, you know, earlier on in the process too. How are they like what are they coming to you with? What challenges are they faced right now? I, I wish I wish more were actually coming to us. I think the reality is m- most of them have been living with their current state, knowing that in order for them to really advance it, they have to get 1,500 other companies mm-hmm. to start engaging with them in a more collaborative manner that's mm-hmm. consistent so that they that's can actually pull down some of the operationalized levers, right, to get value. And most of them have just said, I think I just want to focus on what I can try to control. And so they throw mm-hmm. systems at it or extra inventory or people or yeah. processes. And I think it's a it's a it's a bit of an awakening when we get into these conversations and they're kind of they're reminded that it's their choice that they're kind of living with that and 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 I think we're able to bring an equation to the table that says we can challenge that and we can not only challenge it but help you build a business case because ultimately if the suppliers understand really why the retailer is asking for something different and they can get their head wrapped around what that's going to mean for the relationship they're willing to entertain it and and oftentimes engage it it can't be a technology ask it can't just be here's a compliance scorecard you need to perform better like they, i think we're seeing that those retailers that bring the vendors into the game share how well their products are performing across the supply chain right. you know make them feel not make them feel but just bring them bring them closer to what's happening. The vendors can appreciate it. And I think the asks then go a long ways. Uh, and I think that's, again, I, I wish more retailers were, were out looking for it. The big guys are, we're a, de- mm-hmm. we're a dependency to get their vent, you know, those big retailers, vendors into the fold. But most of our time these days are spent with retailers that weren't out looking. Mm-hmm. They just come to kind of live with. Right, right. That's really interesting. That dyna- I never thought about that either. This is great. Like that dynamic of like, yeah, you know, you think you can do everything on your own in isolation, but you're really dependent on getting all the sh- all the ducks in a row to line up towards your processes and your procedures that you have as a retailer. It's like getting 12 kids in a car on a Sunday for a soccer game or something, you know, like in, in reality, that's the best analogy I can think of here. So well- Especially with, I think, the background of, especially like in grocery for so long, it was it was kind of this like challenge or yeah, struggle right. between the retailers and the brands and, you know, who who was required to do what in a store. And I think as as we went through the pandemic the last year and the importance of having that transparency between the two parties or kind of having to bring them together to get along for a little bit so that they could fulfill the expectations of the customers. I imagine that this became so much more important um, and not just as you're saying, David, not something that, you know, was a nice to have. Now it's a must have. And that's the only way to kind of keep things, keep things going on a forward, forward path. The other I mean, oh, to build on David's, David's comments earlier, because the other thing we struggle with, with the retailers is the mitigating practices that they've put in place that they almost actually celebrate. Like I remember sitting down with one of our customers and their accounts payable team and their accounts payable person was showing us how they have a file for invoices on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And here's the ones they've reconciled. And it was kind of like, 
that's great. You know, you actually don't have to do any of that though, but it was, it was like what made her successful at her job. I mean, even transfer to buyers and you think about the amount of times buyers have a great email and Excel tracking system for what they've had to update. And it's kind of like, but again, you don't, you don't have to do that, even though that maybe is what has made you a good buyer these last 20 years, there's actually a better way to do that. But um, so much of this inertia with, well, we've already figured out how to tackle that. Why would we do something beyond that? It's like, actually it is tens of millions of dollars. If you just look a level deeper on yeah, how much you're missing by yeah. by not automating some of that. But it's hard to get them out of that mindset where just always done it and been okay at it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's a human psychology problem. I mean, Anna, Anna and I even struggle that with with that in our own business. You know, like, hey, this is what got us here. Let's stick do, stick with doing it. But you constantly got to break everything down and reinvent it and figure out ways to get smarter. And, you know, David, to your point, like the 150 is probably an underestimation of the number of retailers, actually, that a lot of these companies are working, or the number of brands that a lot of these companies are working with, too. So... So I'm curious as you're as you're helping them work through this idea of getting everyone on the same page, investing in the right things. How do you get them focused on what's most important and not just you know glomming onto the shiniest penny that they see on the ground waiting to be picked up? The tech for tech's sake argument. Yeah, no, that's good, and I, I'm sure Brandon will jump on this as well. But I, I think our uh, you know we, we now have about 600 retailers that have elected to outsource their EDI operations and infrastructure to SPS Commerce. That's in conjunction with the 5,000 other buying organizations that we built our network out to. But um, in, in order for a big project like this, and we'll, you, you mentioned PV earlier, in order, them for, to, to, in order for them to keep that shiny object in front of them and follow it all the way through the process, right? They identify what the requirements were. They selected SPS Commerce. We brought their vendors into a state of capability. For the first time, they had all the data in a manner that they now could look at it through a consistent lens. It was only then that they really understood kind of what their desired performance metrics were versus what was really happening. Mm. That's that opportunity gap. And really, the next Uh quarter of the game is now the vendor behavioral management and, you know, kind of compliance and sharing how well performance is happening before the, the merchants have confidence that they can actually reduce the quantity that they're placing on the orders and maybe increase the number of orders going out to bring those, those safety stock levels down. And what Brandon's team does is, is ensures that that business readiness and that change management is actually in place and ready to take place within the retailer across all the core business functions. Because we've seen it sputter out, right? If it, if it doesn't actually, if that change management doesn't take hold and go all the way through, um, uh, it, it, it doesn't actually bring the ultimate value. So the front end work of building that business case is essential because it has to be big because this is kind of a lengthy journey. And, and in order for people to have the, you know, the, the, the stamina to work through it, the prize has got to be big. Fortunately it is, but mm-hmm. Brandon, I don't know if you want to th- add anything onto the work to actually drive to the value realization aspect. Yeah, no, I I'd say it's, it's definitely a balance, right? I mean, these, these business stakeholders, these projects can go anywhere from three to six months from when mm-hmm. we started to, when these things are fully into production, as you can imagine, any big transformational project can take some time. Um, and I think what we've seen is that delicate balance of keeping the business stakeholders involved in the decision-making that has to happen, either with some puts and takes, but also, um, you know, there's a technology component you need to build. But I think where we've continued to see success is finding that appropriate balance by which you keep the business stakeholders involved in helping them understand 
what the technology is capable of or not and helping them guide and make their decisions. There's a lot of business executives out there that don't know as much about technology and are looking for somebody to help help them understand where to make those decisions. Right. Well, and Brandon, I remember talking to you years ago when we first connected just about how this is this has typically been something where it's you're working directly with the technology teams within companies. And mm-hmm. now this is expanded to start to bring in because of the pandemic, because of changes just to the overall industry, you've had to start bringing in other teams um, because it's not just about tech, it's about people, process, and technology, which I know is kind of a big mission at SPS. But can you explain a little bit about how you've approached that in the last several years and kind of how you look forward um, as to how you're going to be working with those teams in the future? Yeah, um, David mentioned one of the biggest pivots we made was about uh, three years ago when we start engaging with retailers. Um, we start with what we call a business opportunity assessment because we're kind of like before we even get into the tech capabilities, right. before we get into the data exchanges, let's just do a current state analysis. And, and we have a team of strategists. So, you know, folks that have been in the industry 20, 30 years and working across all these retailers kind of sitting down with accounts payable, sitting down with buying teams, sitting down with supply chain and logistic folks to say, how are your processes working today? And then being able to come back with a recommendation on these are the types of different data exchanges and things you could be getting that you're not taking advantage of today. Um, and it's ultimately the retailer's choice if they want to move forward. But that's been kind of our stake in the ground to say, in order for us to move forward, we, we have to get clarity around what your business is looking to do and engaging with those different stakeholders before we move forward. And that's been, I would say, one of the biggest shifts I've seen in my seven years at SPS, where now it's like from that point going forward, the business is like, yeah, no, I need this. Right. And and if I have to reprioritize with my technology team, I now know why and I know how. And mm. therefore, I can help drive these projects forward in a way that I maybe started something like this eight years ago, but was talking about scale and efficiency, but didn't really know why. Yeah. Now, now they have more of that clarity and conviction, hmm. along with some of the, the, the challenges from an omni-channel and coming out of the pandemic as well. So. Brandon, when you're talking to these retailers, this is like insider behind the scenes information that I'm going to ask you. So you you can answer carefully, but I mean, have these retailers had these teams together in the room discussing the types of things that you're, when you do this intro analysis, like, is this something that they've, they're familiar with working together or maybe in, throughout the last three years, they've become, become more familiar with working together? Or is that like, what's your experience been with them when you kind of start this discovery process? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and in mm-hmm. fact, some of the data exchanges that hit every part of the organization, yeah. an organization could have built it out solely to benefit AP and get right. the supply chain over here that has no idea they could have been utilizing that. Um, so we find these silos fairly often. And the other thing that has happened you know, to EDI, I think over the years, is it seen as a technology. Um, and, and certainly the automation of the data exchange is, but technology typically isn't, and the technology folks aren't typically pushing the, the buying organizations to wanna prioritize additional work. So right. the business, where do they go to to understand what more they could be doing with it and then having that dialogue across uh, across the different parts of the business, because a lot of times if we go in there and make a tweak for one part of the business, it will benefit other aspects. And getting them to kind of help understand that story is pretty critical. But no, the the amount of times we come in 
and have that conversation and you start to see them turning towards each other is pretty, um, I don't know if impressive is the right term, but it, it's fairly frequent that we're kind of like, yeah, you talk about that. So, right. Yeah. It's pretty cool too. Cause I mean, I mean, the basis of what you're saying is really people gets, it helps people also get smarter about technology, whether they know that much about technology to begin with the, it forces, it's a forcing mechanism inside an organization to get people more acclimated to how technology can impact their lives day in and day out or their jobs really day in and day out. Um, yeah. All right. On that point, let's get you out here on this. David, I'm curious, you know, we we heard from Brandon, you know, what's on what's top of mind for retailers uh, right now, you know, out of stocks being one of them. What's next for SPS though? What do you guys have planned or on tap for 2023? Well, we, we are, I mean, most organizations that are moving their ERP systems to the cloud or, or mm-hmm. what have you, they're having to make a decision as to whether or not they want to reintegrate that new ERP mm. to their existing uh, infrastructure. We're seeing more and more tier one buying organizations now mm. electing to hand that steering wheel over to us. So we, we are going upstream more and more with buying organizations outsourcing to us. I think that's that mm-hmm. we're prepared. We're seeing that firsthand. Secondly, I think we've learned that we have to be much more prescriptive and how we're helping buying organizations address the item challenge. We've talked about it a number mm. of times here, mm. but if you walk into any retailer today and say, do you have an item problem? Mm-hmm. They're guaranteed 100% are gonna nod their head. Yes, we have, we have an item When you lay out the buffet menu of what they would like to fix, it covers every business function uh, across the retailer. And I think mm-hmm. we felt, we fell uh, a victim to trying to solve that. And, mm-hmm. and it was just too big. It was, it was too mm-hmm. big of ask by the, for the vendor. And it was, mm-hmm. cra- frankly, it was too big of a meal for the retailer to actually ingest. So uh, a, a pretty big pivot we've made here is really getting more prescriptive in which item attribute mm-hmm. business challenge should we start with first? Is it mm-hmm. do we start with accurate orders and invoices, dimensions, that. product right. planning, regu- regulatory compliance, uh, uh, online ready or direct to consumer, because each of those are pretty big, pretty big pictures. And, right. and, and I think we're, we'll find that if a vendor is able to hit, hit a target that's this big and, and get good at doing that, mm-hmm. you're going to have more success in getting them to be able to step up to the next plate mm-hmm. and the next yeah. plate, as opposed to here's what the requirement is. Good luck. And yeah. so I think that's going to be a big pivot for SPS uh, and and I'm excited about that. We have been delivering item solutions for 20 years, yep. but in the last several, when we've gotten more focused on the business problem that we're trying to solve, we see adoption rates skyrocket. We see operationalization improvements occur within the buying organization. So I think we're going to take take our lead on that front for sure. That's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of matzo balls in that soup from my own personal experience. <laughs> like, yes, that and that that seems like if yeah. That just seems like a very, very smart approach to lean in that way. So I love that personally. Kudos to you guys for taking that approach. Well, I want to thank both of you, David and Brandon. That was so insightful. I appreciate you sharing with us, giving us a behind the scenes look into what's going on um, in the offices of some of our favorite retailers and brands out there. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you, they want to have SPS come help them out, come introduce them to other members of in other verticals within their own companies. uh, What should they do to get a hold of you? Uh, David, do you want to share some info for us? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly LinkedIn would be the best way to to get in touch with me. They could always go to SPS's website too and and request uh, uh, contact. Otherwise, I'm um, happy to give my cell phone number out here, but probably LinkedIn's the best way. <laughs> wow. 
David coming hot with yeah, the, the cell, cell phone. phone. We've only had one of those in the I past, know. I think, right? One or two, maybe. Oh, man. The texts you're going to get, David. The texts yeah, you're well, going to get. You, you see, I, I pulled back off that. The last <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps us up. Thank you so much again to Brandon Pierre and David Verrett for sitting down with us today. And thanks to all of you who joined us live on LinkedIn. As always, and on behalf of all of us here at Omnitalk Retail, be careful out there.